welcome back to Sunday night Bible study. I have, uh, I've missed you. Good to see you. Amen. You know, I, I did this, was doing this psalm study from my desk on Wednesdays. You know, I'd sit there at my desk and try to remember to close the blinds and get everything uh, right. Because believe it or not, those who watch the video pick my office apart. <laughs> hey, did you know there's a bug on your windowsill? <laughs> no, I do now. So uh, it's good to be back in here with you so we can study together. I don't have to worry about that. But uh, we are uh, this evening moving our, our Sunday night Bible studies to our study in Psalms. And we're actually in Psalms 121. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn there, Brother Bill will be doing the videos. You can pick apart the bugs on his windowsill. He'll be doing the videos um, on Esther. He'll be doing those on Wednesdays uh, for a while. So Psalm 121. Uh, I want to think out of this passage for a few minutes tonight, uh, comfort and security in the Lord. Uh, as we get older in life, I've discovered this, unfortunately, as we get older in life, um, we can look back and easily, more easily discern where God has worked in our lives because we can look back and see the turns and twists in life and the things that God's done. Sometimes in the current, when events are happening, it is hard for us to sometimes see what God's doing. In other words, you know, I, I, I trust God. And here's a prayer that I pray. I don't mind sharing it with you. Sometimes I will pray and I'll say to God, God, I don't, I don't understand how to handle this or what to do with this, but God, I trust you. And I, and I tell God that all the time. I say, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen in this given situation. And I don't know about these circumstances. And sometimes, I mean, if you're just honest, us guys, guys, we like to act like we know what to do all the time, right? We like to, you know, you come to us with a problem, we're going to fix it, man. We're fixers, okay? That's a guy thing. But sometimes we just have to be honest and go, well, you know, I'm not really sure what to do here, so why don't we pause and ask God before we do anything? Uh, but looking back, my point is looking back, you can see God's care for us and his sovereignty in our lives. Let me illustrate it uh, from my own life as I have looked back at a few things. When I was 18 months old, so we're going way back, okay? Uh, and I know this because my mother shared the story with me. I did, obviously, at 18 months old, I didn't know. At 18 months old, I got really sick. We're talking early 60s, 1961, you know. So I'm, I got really sick, got a fever. <clears throat> at 18 months old, you can't, tell, you can't tell anybody this is where it hurts, you know. So mom was taking me to the doctor and taking me to the doctor. And the only thing they had for fevers then, because I had a fever, my fever was high, and they had penicillin. So they're like loading me up on penicillin because they go, we got this baby's got an infection somewhere. We don't know where it is. And so we're just gonna give him a bunch of penicillin, maybe help the fever. So that went on for a while. And mom said, I didn't get any better. And she was afraid I was gonna die. So she sent me back to the doctor and she said, this baby's gonna die. If you don't do something, you gotta figure out what's wrong with him because he's just got this fever and you're giving penicillin. It was at the Navy base and, this, and mom tells me the story of this older doctor uh, comes in and looked at me for about three minutes and said, this baby's got appendicitis. I didn't know you could get appendicitis when you're 18 months old, but you can. So they rushed me into surgery and it had busted. It was already, you know, open in my side. And so the doctor said, we don't know if he's gonna live or not because this thing's busted and he's got infection in his body and at 18 months old, you're only, you're that big or however big you are. So, um, 
mom said they had me on a table strapped down with tubes in my feet and you know all this kind of stuff thankfully I wasn't old enough to remember any of that but here's the point mom says she prayed uh, as a godly mother would do and she said Lord I, I give him to you if you spare his life she tells me that later right so mom dad said I laid on the table for about a week with them draining stuff out of my side and and I got better and so they sewed me up and I got this really cool looking scar on my side but other than that which is probably why I asked mom about it when I got older I goes, what is that and she goes oh I got a story to tell you so I survived this appendicitis with the high fever and all that stuff well let me connect that to something obviously God spared my life I mean I, you know I could have died and at 18 months old I would have just woke up in heaven and never knew the difference which would have probably been okay too all right but God had a reason for leaving me here <clears throat> well, from every from the earliest years of my life that I can remember, I've always liked airplanes. Some kids like fire trucks, you know. Some kids like trucks. I like airplanes. So I told my mom when I was a little fellow, I said, I'm going to fly airplanes until I get big enough. I'm going to be a pilot. So mom takes me to the eye doctor. And, and my right eye has always been weaker than my left eye. The eye doctor looked in my right eye and he said, hmm you're never going to be able to be a pilot. He just says that off the cuff. And I said, yes, I am. And he goes, no, you're not. <laughs> he goes, you got something in your right eye, and it was 2040 and non-correctable and yada, yada, yada. In fact, Mom said that probably happened when he had that fever that was so high for like two weeks. He probably damaged his, you know, I don't know. Mom, Mom, Mom's dad was a sharecropper, and they had like 14 kids in her family, so she knew everything about what makes you sick so anyway and she knew some remedies too well I could tell you sometime she's like come here let me put this on there and I'm like um, that smells bad she goes come here so um, anyway you connect those two things I mean they sound pretty separate right like fever when you're a kid and then your eyesight well, let me tell you how that would have probably went had God not had not put all that together in my life um, by the way, I have a pilot's, pilot's license, and I used to own an airplane, so there, take that, daughter. <laughs> um, but here's where that got me. <clears throat> I joined the military when I was 19. That's pretty young, and I wanted to fly airplanes. And I tried several times to get into flight school with the Navy when I was already in. And you know what they kept telling me every time I sent in a package? Your right eye is not 2020, and we're not going to let you fly. I said, but it's 2040, and I can see. And they said, we're not going to let you fly. And I kept sending packages that you can send one every six months. So I figured I'm going to wear them down by attrition, man. I'm going to keep sending this thing until I get a waiver. And the guy called me from the OCS board, and he said, stop sending your packages. <laughs> he called me in my office at Cecil Field and said, stop sending your packages. We're not going to give you a waiver. Now, here, now, let me just tell you how that plays out. Had God, had, had I been able to become a, you know, a, a naval aviator or an Air Force guy or, what, or whatever I would have ended up flying, Army helicopters, yeah, probably not that. But if I'd have flown, flown something else, I would have probably stayed in the military 30 years, and that would have been my, because that's what I like doing, and I would have probably done it. But you know what? In God's sovereignty, and I can see in my life, God, God moved those things around from the time I was born, 18 months old, and then when I got older and whatnot. And my eyesight has never stopped me from doing anything in life other than flying an airplane. Isn't that, isn't that weird? 
Well, it isn't weird when you look at what's going on now because at 20, at 15 years in the military, God called me to be in ministry. Now, had I been flying airplanes, probably not. I mean, and I'm saying, I'm just sharing that little tidbit with you to say this. When the psalmist writes in this psalm about the comfort and security of God, man, he is, he is writing here an all-encompassing truth that if you belong to Jesus Christ, man, he's, he's got you from, from, from birth to finish, man. I mean, he, he knows what he's going to do with your life. And he's got his hand over you. And he's going to watch over you. And he's going to bring you to where he wants you to be. And what the psalmist says here is why freak out about stuff in life if you got a God who's that way in your life? Why, why get all bent out of shape and, and scared and, 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 and wondering and insecure when we have a God who moves all the little pieces of life to put us where he wants us and to move us to do what he wants us to do? That's the kind of God we serve. And so the psalmist says here, hey, take comfort. Take comfort in the security and the safety of, of knowing God and knowing what he can do in our lives. Now look at what the psalmist says here as he begins to write about that in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 121. He said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where comes my help. And it's a question there, from whence comes my help? He said, my help, he answers himself, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's generally two interpretations of verse 1. And really, you can pick which one you like because they come to the same conclusion, and I'll give you both of them. Number one, when he says, where does my help come from? I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? Some see this in the Hebrew construction as being, I get my help from the hills. Now, what he would be saying is, Jerusalem and Zion is on a hill. And so, from where the Lord is, from his temple, from where he is, I get my help from there, okay? He could be saying, that's where my eyes are. That's where I look. And you could apply that to, I'm, I'm moving through life, and sometimes life puts you in the valley, doesn't it? And sometimes you're in the valley. And so where do you look? You look up. You look for your help from where God is, and you look to him for your help. Now, that's a good interpretation. But it could also mean there are some scholars who have said, no, what it means is don't look at any human source for help. I look to the Lord. In other words, verse 2 is the answer to the question, not the hills, okay? And again, it has to do with the literary construct in the Hebrew of the verse and how you see it. I am not a Hebrew scholar, so when I look at both verses and both interpretations, here's what it's saying. The writer is saying this, no matter which way you want to take that first verse, he's saying where my help comes from is God. He's saying the source of my help is God. The source of my help in all of life is God. And we could draw two things from that. Two important things, in fact. Number one, all power and goodness and life come from God. There's no other source. If God, if God doesn't help us, then there's no help to be had. If God doesn't empower us, there's no power to be had. Because human wisdom and human power and human understanding has its limitations. Because we are human beings and we're weak and we're fallible and we're sinful. But when we need help, when we, when, we need, when we need the power of God, that's where our, our rescue comes from. That's where our source comes from. And listen, there are two things about that. To really experience God's 
power in our lives and his blessing in our lives, we have to do two things. One, we have to be willing for God to work in our lives. In other words, I want God to do that. In other words, I want what God wants. Now, I'll tell you again in the little story of my own life, when God called me into the ministry, I did not want that. Now, I was saved. been saved since I was a fellow at 11 years old. But listen, I had plans. I had things I wanted to do. I had life plans. I wanted to retire. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. And being a pastor of a church wasn't in that set of things that I was going to do. And the first time God dealt with me about it, I said, no. Here's a, little, here's a little revelation for you. God's persistent. And God's stronger than we are. And God gets a hold of your heart. And listen, now after I said yes to God and God called me to the ministry, there's nothing in life that I would ever want to do different than I did. But here's the point. We have to be willing for God to work in our lives. We have to be willing to receive his power. And listen, we have to be willing not only to receive it, but to act on it, to allow God to use us. And it all begins with salvation. It all begins with being born again. Because see, listen, lost men and women, if you're watching this online or on the video and you're not saved, God's not going to express his power in your life other than to convict you to come and be saved. God's not going to work in your life because you don't belong to him. The only work God's going to do in your life if you're lost is draw you to be saved. And if you refuse him, then you're going to be under his judgment. No, but for saved people, for born-again children of God, well, you have all the power of heaven available in your life. You say, well, pastor, why do so many Christians live such a defeated life? Well, because we don't avail ourselves of the power of God. Because we live in the flesh and we decide to do life our way and we say no to God and we do the things we want to do. Hey, have you discovered this yet? This is a Sunday night crowd, so y'all are, are the cream of the crop, right? Sunday night crowd. Have you discovered that God's smarter than you are? That's a revelation, isn't it? Makes you feel bad. You go, man, God knew better than me all along. Not only is God smarter than us, he has the big picture. Remember I said in current events, sometimes I can't tell what God's doing. I mean, things are happening, and I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like, Lord, what are you doing here? God knows what he's doing. He don't need me to approve it, and he don't need me to, he don't need me to, he don't need my two cents is what I'm telling you, okay? So for saved people, for saved people, if we're willing to allow God to work in our life, he will. And then secondly, secondly, nothing's too hard for God. Man, that ought to be a comfort for you. Because I have run into situations in life that look like there's no answer. Have you ever run into one of those? Like, I don't know what to do with this. There's no solution to this. You know, you got some situation in your life, and you look at it on top, bottom, around the back. You know, you metaphorically, you look at this thing all over, and there's no trap door to get in there, and you're like, what do I do with this, man? I, you know, how do I fix this? Nothing's too hard for God. In fact, notice what the psalmist said. He said, my help comes from the Lord in verse 2. Who did what? Made heaven and earth. Now, what he does here is he argues from the greater to the lesser. He says, listen, whatever your problem in life is, whatever challenge you're facing, whatever difficulty it is, it's not harder than creating something out of nothing. That's what he's saying. He said, whatever the situation is you have in life, it's not more difficult. It's not harder than God creating the universe. He can deal with your problem. He can deal with your situation. Now, let's get, let's get real about that for just a minute. Let's bring it down to where, uh, like one of my coaches used to say, let's put some shoe leather on that and let's make it real, okay? Life can be hard. It can be. It can be difficult, okay? 
And we all deal with different things in life. Some people in this auditorium deal with health issues. Some people that are watching online, they're not here right now because they're dealing with health issues and they don't want to be out. They want to be safe, and that's fine. That's why we're live streaming and we're putting the videos up. But listen, a health issue in some people's lives is a very real deal. In other words, every day, every day they get up every morning, they got to deal with a health issue of some kind, and it's serious. Now, I can, now listen, that can wear you down. That can wear you down. Talking to Tim and Brenda, I took care of my dad in his, in his last uh, period of his life when he needed help. He couldn't do a lot for himself, and that's discouraging for him and wears him down. Lost his independence, lost his ability to drive, couldn't move around. Matter of fact, you hadn't lived till you have to take the car keys away from your dad and explain to him why you're not going to let him drive anymore because he's still your dad. He reminded me that. I said, yeah, well, right now I'm bigger than you and you ain't taking these keys back. Listen, those things are hard, aren't they? And you face that in life and he's facing that health issue in life. Where does your help come from? How do you get through that? How do you deal with that? You get it from the Lord. That's where you get it from. Because he's bigger than that. Now, I'm not saying it isn't a real problem. And I'm not saying it isn't hard. And I'm not saying it isn't difficult because it is. But with God helping us, he's bigger than the problem. And he helps us through it. And he helps us deal with it. How about, how about finances? And there are people who come through the doors of this church and they have very real financial needs. No fault of their own. They're not lazy. They work. They do it. They did everything right. They just have a crisis in their life, some difficulty, lost their job. Hey, it happens to people. They walk in, they think everything's good. They walk into work and they get a pink slip. Unexpected, where'd that come from? Now how am I going to pay the bills? Who's bigger than that? God is, the one who made the heavens and the earth, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You say, well, how's God going to meet my needs? I don't know. That's up to him, but I know he can. Sometimes he uses the church. Sometimes he uses other Christians to meet the need, but God can meet it. Doesn't matter. God's bigger than that. How about somebody who loses their, their home? Or what about this? What about a relationship issue? Do we have relationship issues sometimes? Do we, we run into trouble with people? How about in our own families? Do we have relationship issues, marriage issues? Who's bigger than those issues? God is. And if we are willing, as I said, and we're willing for God to work in our lives, God's bigger than those. Listen, here it is. Greater the lesser is his argument. God created everything so he can deal with everything underneath that. God created, everything else is underneath that. Watch this. Salvation, God can deal with everything else underneath that. You know why? Because salvation is the greatest work of grace has ever done. Salvation is the greatest work. I mean, to take a sinner like me who deserves hell and forgive all my sins and give me his righteousness and fill me with the power of the Spirit, everything else in life is small potatoes compared to that. Argument from great, greater to less, okay? Now, notice what the psalmist says in verses 3 and 4. He says, not only can we trust the power of God, that he's going to lead in his sovereignty, but he said, we're going to be standing on solid ground. Notice verse 3. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Now, the, the, the phrase of a foot slipping... Uh, is, a, is a description of misfortune coming into life, meaning sometimes misfortune comes. We just discussed some of that. And what he's saying is that when those misfortunes come, God's not going to allow your foot to slip. He's not going to allow you to fall. Now, it may be difficult, and those misfortunes will come, but he's, 
He's going to be the one to guide our steps. He's going to be the one to, to hold us up. And really, you could, you could use this phrase of not allowing the foot to slip to speak of when evil comes, when trouble comes to life. And we learned this morning that Satan in this world delights in trying to ruin God's plan in total. But don't you, don't you miss it for a minute that Satan would love to ruin God's plan in your life, in my life. If he can, if he can cause us to be uh, useless for the cause of Christ, cause us to be ineffective by sin and by our lifestyle, he's going to do that. But listen, God is our source. God is the one who will keep our foot from slipping. He's the one who will be our shelter. He's the one who will uh, keep us. Now, I like what it says here in verse 3. It says that God keeps you, will not slumber, will not slumber. God never takes a nap. God never goes to sleep. There's never a time that God doesn't see us and know exactly what's going on. God does not slumber. Let's expand that thought just a little bit. When I was in the military, they would, they would have us stand duty, have us stand watch. Any military fellows ever stand watch? Man, the 2 a.m. watch is the bane of your existence, I'm telling you. You're tired, you won't go to sleep. And if it's cold outside, it's even worse. It's like, it's like injury on top of having to stand out there. And I can remember standing those watches in the middle of the night, and man, they drill into your head, do not go to sleep. If we catch you asleep, cut off your thumbs, man. Don't go to sleep, you know. So maybe we don't go to sleep. You put toothpicks, hold your eyelids open. Whatever you got to do, you don't go to sleep. You'd be weary. Listen, you can be awake and not be sharp. You can be awake and be weary and not paying attention. And, and, and listen, you can, be, you can be distracted. I used to stand watch outside of this barracks. I could never figure that out, by the way. Everybody in the barracks lives there. Why am I standing watch at the door? I don't, I, uh, anyway. One of, those, one of those enigmas that I'll ask God someday. Why did we stand watch outside the door? Outside this barracks on a Navy base, at 2 in the morning, the rats come out. There's holes in the ground. And so we would stand out there and count how many rats would come out of the holes. You, you do whatever to entertain yourself at 2 o'clock in the morning. Here's my point. I might have been on watch at 2 o'clock in the morning, but I wasn't at my sharpest. You know what I mean? I mean, I wasn't attentive. I wasn't because I was tired. Aren't you thankful God never gets tired? Aren't you thankful that God never gets weary? God never, listen, God's attention span is never distracted somewhere else. God always watches you. And God always knows what's, what's going on in your life. And here's the really good news. God knows what's going to go on in my life before I get there. I might not be able to prepare for it, but God's already prepared for it because he knew it was happening. And nothing that comes into my life surprises God. God's not in heaven and goes, ooh, I didn't see that coming. I guess I better get out there and help him. No. No, the psalmist says, God will not allow your foot to slip. Are you saying, Pastor, that, that no tragedy will ever come into my life? No, I'm not saying that at all. No, mm -mm. no tragedies come. Loved ones die. Uh, disasters come. Hurricanes, tornadoes, pandemics, you name it, man, they come, right? Why? Because we're in a sinful, fallen world. But God promises that if you're his, your foot's not going to slip. He's going to keep you in the midst of that tragedy, and he's going to help you through that thing doesn't matter what it is. And there's some pretty horrific things that can happen in life. But God will be there. Let me tell you a story that I may have told before, but it's one that sticks in my brain as being 
one of the apexes of Christian love in spite of tragedy in life. Uh, back in the 70s, uh, I think the guy was a pastor of Fleming Island Baptist Church back when it, when it was called that. His daughter went up to the mall because they built the Orange Park Mall in the 70s, I think, and it hadn't been open that long. And his daughter and another young lady went to the mall and they went shopping and when they were about to leave, they split up and the girl goes to get in her car and the other girl went to get in her car and they're going their way. Well, the pastor's daughter of that church was abducted by a guy who was in there and the guy um, mistreated her and then killed her, okay? And the police, she didn't come home. They called the police and they, they found the guy pretty quickly and found her body and, she, and he had killed her. Well, I can tell you, being a dad of two daughters, I'm really not sure how I'd react to somebody who would try to hurt one of my girls. Probably wouldn't be very pastorly, let me just say that as I'm standing here right now. But I'm going to tell you what that pastor did. He asked for permission from the Clay County Sheriff to go into the jail and visit that guy. I might have asked for that too. <laughs> but they had to know better to leave me in the room by myself with him, okay? Let me tell you what that pastor did. He went into that room with that guy who just killed his daughter and shared Jesus with him. Told him that what he did was a great sin, that he had hurt his family, and tried to win that guy to Jesus. I don't know if I could do that. I'm, God, no, I'm just telling you the truth. I don't know if I could do that. I mean, my heart, that wouldn't be where my heart would be at the moment. Listen, the Bible says right here, in the worst kind of tragedy you can imagine, I can't imagine much worse than that, that kind of tragedy. God won't let your foot slip. God will keep you. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That ought to encourage you. That ought to encourage you no matter where you are in life. Now, notice what he says about God as our protector very quickly. Verses 5 and 6, the Lord is, our, is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. I like that. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. I like the part about he's the shade at your right hand. A shade means a covering, means a protection. A keeper, okay? Now, the right, this has more than just cover from the shade. Soldiers in the, in the biblical days carried a shield, and most of them were right-handed. Most people are right-handed. Uh, left-handed people are special. If you're left-handed, you're special. My daughter's left, one of my oldest daughters left-handed, so I pick on her about it. But listen, right-handed people would hold a shield on their left hand, on their left arm, and hold a sword in their right hand. Well, your left side is covered because you have a shield, okay? Matter of fact, you know, I like history. Um, in Sparta, the Spartan soldiers were known for their renown, for their fierceness. They had a system set up in, their, in the way they protected themselves that each man's shield covered the weak side of the next man, okay? Well, what he's saying here is that if you have a shield on your left side and you have your sword on your right side, your right side really is unprotected other than striking with the weapon but it's uncovered. You know what he's saying right here? He said, God covers your weak side. That's good, isn't it? In other words, you got the shield on the left side, and you got your sword on the right side, and he said, God is your covering. Notice what he says there. The Lord is a shade on your right hand. And what he's saying is you hold a sword on the right side, and God will take care of protecting you while you're fighting. Now, that's good stuff. Now, let's make the spiritual application real quick. As much as we... Well, maybe we don't think that. As much as we like to think in our, in our spiritual growth and walk with God, 
and in our spiritual maturity as we've grown over the years, maybe we like to think of ourselves as, as strong in our faith, okay? That's dangerous when you start thinking that too much. Because I want to tell you something that's clearly spelled out in the Bible. Every one of us in this room have a spiritual side of us that's uncovered. Say, so what does that mean? I mean, that's your weak spot. I mean, that's your spot where if Satan's going to come after you, he's starting there. Because he knows that's your, that's your spot. He knows that's the spot that's uncovered. Let me illustrate it this way. God saves men and women, boys and girls, young people, out of every walk of life, doesn't he? Doesn't matter what they, were, doesn't matter what they did before they were saved, God saves everybody. What if a young man um, had a real drug problem and God saved him out of that? That's happened. And the young man, now, now listen, I've seen God do this. I've seen God save people with addictions and the day they get saved, they never touch it again. I've talked to a man that happened. God removed it from his life. He never touched it again. Alcohol, matter of fact. But I have known people who get saved and have an addiction who have to get help. They have to go, they have to go into rehab and they have to go through a process because their bodies, their flesh is addicted to whatever that thing is and it's, it's hard for them. I don't doubt their salvation. They're just dealing with the sin that's got its claws in them and they need help with it. Now God could do it either way. God can set them free instantly as soon as he saves them. I've seen him do that, and sometimes people need help. What if a young man gets saved, and he struggles with, he had been a, a drug addict. Do you think that's going to be an area of tenderness for him the rest of his life? Very likely. Very likely that that young man really has a, to ask God to put a covering there. Ask God to put a wall up there. And he has to be very careful. I've known men and women who are addicted to alcoholic beverages. And, and, the, and God sets them free from it, either through instantly or through some process, and they have to stay away from it. They have to be careful about where they go and where they sit and who they hang around with because that's an uncovered area in their life that's, that, that the, the shielding there is thin, okay? And Satan would attack them there. That happens with moral issues. What if God saves a man or a woman out of, out of immorality? out of some addiction to pornography or, or an adulterer or a fornicator and they were so engrossed in those sins and God saves them and they, and they walk away from those sins. Oh man, Satan knows right where to come after you. And here's the thing. Every one of us in this room have a weak area. Every one of us in this room have something where, where it's an uncovered area in our life. And you know what the promise is right here? God will be your covering. But you got to trust him and you got to want him to be. God will be your covering. God will put up the shield so Satan can't get through there. You see, listen, what we really have to desire in our heart, you got to love God and not want to fail him. You got to love God and you got to say, God, I don't want to embarrass you. God, I could embarrass you 10, 10 times tomorrow before lunch. And God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to respond wrong. I don't want to think something wrong. I don't want to say something wrong. I don't, want even, I don't even want to feel the sin in my heart and entertain it. God, put the covering up there. And that's what the psalmist says right here. God, God will be your shade on your right hand. He'll put the covering over you night or day. When they strike at you, he'll, he'll cover you and he'll protect you. And then finally, verses 7 and 8, and then we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. He talks about God preserving us here. He said, the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from the time forth 
uh, from this time forth and even forevermore. Um, listen, uh, I spoke a little bit about this this morning with with a gentleman that was here. He's here tonight, but I want to I want to repeat this. Um, security in God. There's no place you could be more secure. A person who who genuinely gets saved, and there's the separating, there's the separation right there. Okay, a person who genuinely comes under conviction of the Holy Spirit, who recognizes that they're separated from God because of their sin, and with a with the humility, which is a repentant heart, comes to God and says, "Lord, I'm messed up like a soup sandwich, and I know that my sin offends you." And I understand Jesus will forgive me. He died on the cross to do that, and I believe it. He died, he rose again the third day. And, and I'm asking you to save me. Now listen, that's how you get saved. The Bible says in Ephesians that salvation uh, is by faith alone with no works, okay? It's not of works, lest any man should boast, okay? Uh, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ without works. When we get saved by faith, God does all the saving, okay? We, we, don't have, we can't earn it. We can't say, well, God, I've had people say this to me. Pastor, I'm going to get my life cleaned up, then I'm going to come to Jesus. Well, they'll never come because they have no hope of cleaning up their life. They can't, you can't clean up your life. But a person who gets saved, and their life might be a trash can full of stuff, okay? Most of us were. God will take care of cleaning the trash can out, all right? The saving part's him, and then as we grow in our maturity, God conforms our life, the Holy Spirit conforms our life to the image of Christ. A person who genuinely gets saved can't get unsaved. Everybody understand me? And here's why. Number one, God will never go back on his word. Okay? In John 10, 27, 28, I think it is, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. Jesus said that. They know me. They're my sheep, and they follow me because they know who I am. Well, how do you know who God is? Because you're saved, okay? And then he said, I give unto them, Jesus said this. He said, I give unto them eternal life. Okay, just stop right there. What's eternal life? How long is eternal life? It's eternal. Good answer, okay. Eternal life, eternal. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life. And they can, listen, and Jesus said, just in case we didn't get it, and they can, they will never perish. Okay, so I give them eternal life. Now, on the negative side, you're never going to perish. And he said, my father gave them to me, and nobody can take them out of my hand. I don't know how many different ways Jesus could say that if you're really saved, you're secure. That's what the psalmist says right here. God is our keeper the parable of the hunter's sheep and one's missing, right? And the shepherd goes, man, one of my sheep's missing. How does he know that? Because he knows his sheep and they know him. And he, and he leaves the 99 and he goes out and he finds the one. Why? Because he's not losing his sheep. Jesus knows his sheep. Now sheep are some dumb animals. And sheep will wander off. And is it not true in our lives that we wander off sometimes? Don't we? Because we're sheep. And sometimes God will reach down and smack me on the head and say, what are you doing? Wondering. I don't know what I'm doing. And Jesus will bring you back, okay? 
What I'm saying is that if you're in his fold, you can never not be in his fold. The confusion for us, listen to me, the confusion for us is people make all kinds of professions. They make all kinds of religious professions. They have religious experiences. They join denominations. They, they follow a speaker. They follow singers. They follow, uh, you know, I know people, honest to goodness, and we're close. I know people who, who will move from one church to the other just because the hot thing's going on at this church for two years, and then this church all of a sudden's hot, and so they'll move over there. That's nonsense, okay? But if you're really saved, and you really have a saving relationship with Jesus, hell can't get you out of Jesus' hands. The Satan can't get you nothing. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, go home and read chapter 8, he said, he goes to a whole list of stuff. He said, and none of this stuff can separate us from the love of Christ and the love of God in Christ Jesus. So the psalmist said right here, uh, he'll preserve you. He'll, he'll keep you uh, on the way. Uh, nobody can take you out of the Father's hand, okay? So that's good news, isn't it? Listen, the good news is we can take comfort and encouragement in Jesus no matter what's going on in life, and I pray that that's true for you tonight. Listen, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to talk about the Lord's Supper, and we're going to, everybody got one of these little cups right here? Okay. Listen, if you're here tonight or you're watching online or you're watching this video later, uh, God wants you to see it. And here's why. If you've never been saved, if you're not sure you're saved, if you're not sure of your security in Jesus Christ, would you pray right now when we pray? Would you invite Jesus to come into your heart? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the encouragement of your word. And I pray, Lord, that if there's somebody coming under the sound of, of your word, that, God, they would be convicted and they would be drawn to be saved if they're not saved. Lord, touch them, God. Help them to see that you are the Savior. You're the one who can give them eternal life. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.